Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Hello, Brewer fans. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm Peter Go. Host of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Excited here. I've got David alongside covering uh, another divisional heavy week here for the Brewers. And overall, I'd say a, a pretty good week. Uh, we're recording this here prior to the Pirate Series. So I will hop on myself at the end of this episode uh, to recap uh, what is hopefully a good series this weekend for the Brewers against uh, the Pirates. Hopefully Brewers are able to take at least two of those three games. Uh, but like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll be covering those three games at the end of the podcast briefly here as we're recording uh, sort of in the middle of the week. But I want to cover the bigger of the two series this week against our uh, rivals, the Chicago Cubs. Overall, pretty good series. Brewers taking two out of three. Pretty happy with that. And before we get into that recap, uh, David, today, what is our trivia question? Instead of a trivia question today, we actually have a stat of the day. Corbin Burns, of course, has been excellent this year. Uh, we, we called last episode the Corbin Burns Appreciation Podcast, but then he came back with another exceptional start against the Cubs. Six innings, no runs. And today's stat is the last time that a starting pitcher had 30 strikeouts and zero walks through his first three starts in a season. 1906. So it's been 115 years since someone has done that in his first three starts. You'd have to imagine that the pitcher who did that in 1906 probably threw like 64 innings in his first three starts or something just to get 30 strikeouts. I'm not actually sure who the pitcher is, but it's I know it's kind of specific, but still kind of crazy to think about the fact that, you know, guys like Colfax, Steve Carlton, Pedro Martinez, no one, no one's ever done it in the last 115 years. Yeah, even Jacob Degrom, or you know any of the recent. I mean, we and and we've seen strikeouts rise as well in the last five, ten years. So it's it's it says something that's for sure. Uh, that Corbin Burns is at the top of that list. Uh, like you said, nobody's done that in the last hundred years in Major League history. So an impressive feat, nonetheless, for Cor- Corbin Burns. Uh, and before we get into today's random player of the day, we do have a new segment at the end of today's podcast. We've got a, a listener question. So I uh, just wanted to bring that up. Uh, that we are accepting, you know, listener questions. Either it can be a trivia question, try to sum David or I, uh, or uh, preferably it can be even just something that we can cover. So today we're going to be answering a question on uh, what to expect from Brad Boxberger's role this year later on in the episode. Um, but you can reach out to us either on our website uh, or on uh, Instagram or TikTok at, or Twitter, I should say as well, at Brewers Podcast. And just either tweet us or DM us a question uh, that you'd like us to cover on the podcast. So again, we'll be covering that at the end of today's episode. Uh, David, who is today's random player of the day? Today's random player of the day is Jeff Cirillo. He was a pretty well-known third baseman back in the 90s, early 2000s. He actually came back for one year at the end of his career in 2006. So a little bit more recently uh, on that last stint, but probably was the Brewers' best player of the 90s. Earned an all-star appearance in 1997. Uh, in that year, he hit 288, 367 average. He actually has a career 307 batting average, which is higher than everyone in franchise history, except for Christian Yelich right now is, at, I think, 308. So he is a very high average. Um, he overall, over the course of his career, played between 94 and 07. Finished his career with about 1,600 hits 
350 doubles, a little over 100 home runs, and a career 296 average. So a pretty solid career for a third baseman. Uh, Brewers fans don't really think about him that much, or he's not really brought up because he's kind of in a forgotten era. And he was a good player, but he wasn't like an, an excellent player, an all-time great. But overall, had a solid career, solid Brewers career, and probably second best third baseman in Brewers history behind Paul Molitor. Yeah, like you said, under or should I say overlooked uh, because of the era that that he played in, but nonetheless a, a very good career and you know depending on how Yelich is hitting, uh, oftentimes is the Brewers all-time batting average leader um, if you look at certain minimum at bat uh, requirements. But yeah, had a had a pretty solid major league career and and like you said, he probably is if not um, you know second best third base and behind Molitor. I, I guess I can't think of anybody else that would would fit that. Um, so it probably is. Um, but there you have it, today's random player of the day, Jeff Cirillo. So before we get into a quick recap of the Brewers-Cubs series, uh, let's break down a little bit, just some news, uh, sort of housekeeping stuff. Lorenzo Cain in the series did injure himself on a ground ball. He was trying to beat out, uh, hit first base a little bit weird and strained a quad. So he is uh, now on the injured list which thins out the outfield that already lost Christian Yelich day-to-day with uh, some back soreness. So Brewers hoping he can get back in the lineup shortly. Uh, As a result, they have been playing Billy McKinney a lot more. Um, Of course, JBJ and uh, Garcia also getting starts in there. And then they did also call up Tyrone Taylor. So we'll see if he uh, gets a start here or there, just uh, comes in. But certainly uh, it's looking good as far as Stearns making the move to sign JBJ. Uh, that four outfielders um, and that just really strong depth in the outfield is coming into play early in the season, which I didn't expect to happen at some point, but for your arguably two top outfielders uh, to be out this early, it's a big deal that we have JBJ and Garcia able to step in there. What are your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, I, I think the same thing. I think it's been really good that we did sign Jackie Bradley Jr. And Billy McKinney has done a nice job so far. He only has 16 plate appearances, and some of those were off the bench before any of the injuries happened. But 400 batting average in his 16 plate appearances. He's been one of the more valuable players on the ball club. So, so far, he's making the most of his opportunity. On the other hand, Jackie Bradley Jr., 41 plate appearances, only has a handful of hits batting 154 and hasn't actually walked yet in his 41 plate appearances. I'm not too concerned about it because he's a major league hitter. I'm pretty sure that he's going to turn it around. Uh, I'm not overly concerned with Bradley, but uh, at the same time, he hasn't been playing as well. I'm still pretty comfortable though with the outfield depth and Yell it should be back in a few days. I think Kane probably will be back in about two weeks at the most. I don't think we're looking at extremely long timetables for either Yelich or Kane. Uh, but this depth is really paying off already this early into the year. The other thing, too, is that it's it's only April and it's not the time to be trying to push through injuries this early in 162-game season. So I think, as well, Brewers will probably take it easy, uh, probably for Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, even Colton Wong as well, just making sure that, you know, that they're 100% and, you know, you're not – uh, rushing it to get back only to see yourself back on the injured list later on. So I think it makes sense. And the Brewers depth gives them the ability to do that where they're not too worried um, and they're not, you know, sending out uh, Ramon Flores as a starting outfielder. Yeah, that was <laughs> uh, but, <a> wild time. <laughs> but, uh, but moving on from Flores, uh, Brewers did decide to send Eric Gardley down to the alternate trading site and bring up 
the big left-hander on Hal Perdomo. Uh, what was your thoughts on this, David? I know you're, you, you've historically been a big Eric Yardley fan, hasn't had a lot of success this year. Was, did, they, did they pull the plug on him too soon this year, or what was your thoughts? No, I don't think that they've necessarily pulled the plug on him. It, he'll just be optioned. I think he'll be back, I think, pretty soon. He hasn't looked great in his five innings. I think he's allowed a run in four of them, nine ERAs. He's allowed five runs in the five innings. He just hasn't looked very good so far. Uh, and I think it makes sense to send him down to the alternate trading site. The bullpen as a whole really has not been very good. Drew Rasmussen and has allowed like six runs, I think, in three and a third innings. Um, and and Lynn Bloom has not really looked very good. Suter's been okay, but not great. Devin Williams, of course, hasn't been himself yet. So I think it makes sense to bring up another arm right now. I think Yardley will maybe be able to gain some confidence back at the alternate side and then hopefully come back a little bit better. And throwing Perdomo into the mix, I think, just adds another good arm uh, into the bullpen. Another lefty and somebody who definitely has the stuff to, to succeed at the major league level if he can be able to command his pitches well enough. And he, he didn't walk any batters in his first outing, so that's a good sign. I think he only made about two outings last year, and it was not very good. So... Uh, hopefully, hopefully Perdomo can take advantage of this opportunity he has, but I don't necessarily think it was the wrong move, and I think uh, it, it might have even been good to mix things up. Yeah, Perdomo did make an appearance uh, in game two of the series in the ninth after uh, Suteri up that two-run shot uh, to uh, Contreras, but Perdomo did look good in that that inning. Like you said, no walks, which is always big for him. Two strikeouts, you're always going to see a lot of strikeouts when Perdomo's on the bump. And had a really good 3-2 slider to Jason Hayward to strike him out to end the inning. That, you know, was good to see some confidence um, in a 3-2 pitch going to the slider. So we'll see what, what, what Perdomo is able to do, but certainly see if he's able to make the most of, of the situation that he's been given. So we talked already a lot about the series as well, but let's dive into it here. Brewers three-game set against the Cubs. Uh, always a big series against the Cubs. And game one going the Brewers' way, 6-3. to three. Freddie Peralta looking good. Uh, another great start from the Brewers rotation going six innings and giving up just one run, 10 strikeouts from Freddie, uh, then following with Suter, Williams, Rasmussen, and Hayter. You talked about Devin Williams struggling. Uh, maybe talk a little bit more about where you see Williams um, in the bullpen. Is that Do you see him continuing to hold that, that eighth inning traditional role, or uh, what are your thoughts on that? Craig Council seemed to indicate that the Brewers are going to move Williams to a little bit more of a low leverage role. He did pitch in a 6-1 ball game and on Monday, walked a couple batters. Hasn't really looked like himself so far, like I had mentioned before. He he just ha he just hasn't looked like he's ready for the season. He had a late start to spring training and then a slower buildup. So I, I, to be honest, I don't know if he's quite ready, but the Brewers aren't going to option him or anything like that. So I think Williams probably will work a few more games in low leverage situations, hopefully uh, get some feel back, uh, get some command back, and then regain some confidence and then uh, be put back into that setup role. I think that's probably what's going to happen. And I, th I think by the end of April, he should be back in his usual setup role, assuming things go as planned. Because it's not like his change-up's going anywhere. Uh, or, um, I, I mean... His stuff is still there. His stuff is still good. So I don't think there's reason to think that Devin Williams won't be back in that setup role and a, a very effective reliever again in 2021. 
yeah, certainly maybe a little too early to panic and and maybe just ease off a little bit, like you said, on the leverage situations and get some confidence go, going and uh, just get him back to hopefully near his 2020 form. Uh, but like you said, I think Brewers fans are still confident in Williams and his stuff. Game two, uh, a bit of a heartbreaker for the Brewers. Brewers were leading uh, this one all game up until the eighth inning. Brandon Woodruff, another outstanding start going six innings, one run. Uh, only six strikeouts. So only uh, that, that's a rare feat nowadays. Uh, Brewer starter only given only uh, striking out six in six innings. But uh, Woodruff looked good again, hitting his spots. Stuff looked really good. Uh, got to the eighth inning. Brewers had a one-run lead, uh, and Brent Suter left a fastball over the plate to none other than Wilson Contreras, who uh, hit a bomb to left, which was not fun to watch. Uh, a lot of a lot of hit batters. Um, Woodruff, of course, getting thrown at, which. I thought was completely unnecessary. Even Ryan Tapera pretty much just straight up said that he intentionally threw at him um, after the game, uh, admitting to that. I, I thought it was completely unnecessary. Contreras was heavily involved, and then Contreras hit the two-run shot. Of course, pimped the home run, took forever to round the bases. Uh, real class act in, 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 in total. But Brewers, tough loss, 3-2 in this one. Um, and Brent Suter get, giving up the two-run shot. He's looked okay, like you said. Uh, any other thing that you would add here in this game before we move on to game three? Yeah, well, in addition to um, what Tapera said, Contreras said, I think we uh, we shouldn't have thrown behind Woodruff. We should have chosen someone else to throw behind. So the fa that fact alone that he said that was, um, I don't I don't know. I didn't, uh, I didn't. I, I thought that that, does, that warranted uh, a little bit more pushback than he got. He didn't actually get fined or suspended for it, but they did announce on Thursday that uh, both David Ross and Ryan Tapera would be suspended. Tapera three games and Ross one game uh, for their actions. Uh, I think both received a fine as well. So uh, at least Major League Baseball did, uh, did announce some sort of punishment for that. I do understand the frustration a little bit from Contreras' side because he had been hit seven times, but then you watch the video. He got hit in the helmet one time. Okay, like, I understand that you might be upset about that, but, like, the other six times pretty much were, like, fastballs that, like, with arm side run from a righty go in right. on him and nick his elbow guard. Even the video that was going around, he was intentionally trying to get hit by Brent Suter's cutter. Like, if you're standing on top of the plate – your elbow guards hanging out there, you're going to get hit. So for, to me, for Contreras to be a little baby about it was um, more <laughs> than a little bit annoying. Uh, and the Cubs, yeah. the Cubs tweeted a video of all of his hit by pitches so far by the Brewers and then uh, put the video of his home run at the end and tweeted unbelievable with a period. Just that was the only tweet. Um, and yeah, that was not my favorite, um, not my favorite tweet. I do think that it's becoming just like a really good rivalry. I think it's cemented its status as a rivalry um, even more so this year than in prior years, because to me, the Brewers have always been the underdog. So it's like, uh -huh. if the Brewers win great, if they don't like it sucks as a Brewer fan, but like the Cubs still like go in there and like act like they run the place other than game one sixty three. But <laughs> I think now the Cubs are really um, like, they're not as good as the Brewers. So I think the Cubs are like really don't like losing to the Brewers. And that's why it's coming out more because I think you see more of a rivalry when the teams kind of go up and down or uh, one's better than the other. 
I think they're also playing a little bit scrappier. Like you said, they don't have as much of the talent that they had before. So I think they're playing just a little bit more scrappy baseball. And like you said, uh, Brewers, the better team at this point, I think. Um, I think most people would agree with that, especially the way the rotation's been. Uh, so yeah, Cubs kind of coming in a little bit as the under underdogs at this point. And all I'll say to the Cubs Twitter and, and Contreras is uh, we'll see at the end of the season where the, the standings fall. Cause that's at the end of the day, all that really matters. And, still confident in the Brewers. Um, so that was game two. Like I said, tough one as a Brewers fan. Brewers falling three to two in that one. Um, and unfortunately, in some ways, we see another good start from Brandon Woodruff. So game three, uh, the rubber, rubber match, Brewers, Corbin Burns, six innings, 10 strikeouts. Uh, you talked about how good he's been. Uh, can't say that enough. Fire Eisen, another strong inning from him. And then uh, Lynn Bloom coming in late in that game. Uh, a lot of offense from the Brewers, seven to nothing. Uh, Four spot in the sixth inning, Corbin Burns had an RBI uh, single, first RBI of his career. Brewers got the best of Jake Arrieta, who they've seen uh, a fair amount now that he's returned back to Chicago. And yeah, Brewers taking that one uh, easily, seven to nothing. Travis Shaw has looked very good. Uh, really happy to see him uh, contributing to the offense and getting off to a hot start, which has helped as well with some of those bats that have struggled, like Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, Lorenzo Cain, Keston Hira, and of course with Christian Yelich being out. So uh, good to see that Travis Shaw is stepping up. Avi Garcia is also off to a pretty good year. Um, he's had some good games. And the Brewers catchers, uh, Omar Narvaez and Manny Pena, have been hitting the ball well as as well. Anything to add there, David, either in game three or the, the Cubs series in general? Corbin Burns now has uh, actually driven in more runs than he's allowed so far in his first three starts, which is kind of crazy to think about two RBIs in this last game. And he's only allowed one run all year. Uh, some of the, the leaderboards I was looking at recently and Travis Shaw is actually tied for a second in RBIs in the NL. So he's been, I mean, his job is to bring in runs to drive in runs in the five or six spot. And he's done that so far. Luis Urias currently carries a slash line of 129 average, 372 on base percentage, 290 slugging. Slash line harkens back to the glory days of Colin Walsh in 2017. Uh, he does have a 27.9% walk rate right now, and his 12 walks actually lead the major leagues. So at least that part has been good, even though he hasn't really hit much so far. And then uh, they're actually just across the league. There's usually that that day where you kind of see the leaderboards and you're like, okay, we can at least take something out of these stats. Like you see the familiar faces at the top of the leaderboards. Like right now, Mike Trout is leading the American League in F war, which like when you hit that point, you're always, you know that you're, uh, you're in, you, you know that it's not like opening weekend anymore with like the random guys who have like a three home run game or something. Uh, Trout is at the top in AL and F war. Shane Bieber is leading the majors in strikeouts right now. That one's pretty normal. And Javier Baez leading the league in strikeouts. Pretty normal, I would say also. Uh, pretty so much. Kind of at that point where stats are now meaningful now that we see Baez at the top <laughs> of the strikeouts. Uh, he's averaging almost two strikeouts per game. So he's in midseason form already. Uh, good to see Baez, our, our good friend from Chicago, doing well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you can always count on bias for that, that and no look tags, but uh, yeah, six games against the Brewers, I guess, doesn't, doesn't help either when they've got Burns, Woodruff, Peralta coming out and uh, striking out just about every other batter, it seems. So uh, good to see Baez uh, already in midseason form this early. I, going back to Luis Urias, only, you know, hitting sub 200. Uh, interesting to see how he performs after the Orlando RCA trade, but 
I've noticed as well, just good at bats. Uh, of course, a lot of walks, so taking good pitches, but his at bats have just looked good overall. So we'll see if that batting average comes up. He starts to see more strikes. Uh, obviously, don't expect him to be uh, near the leaderboard in walks this year, but nonetheless, good to see uh, from him and just putting up good at bats, getting on base, um, causing some damage, and, and helping the lineup turn back over um, as well. So good to see uh, hot starts. I don't know if you call it a hot start, but good to see some improvement from him um, as well, pairing with some of the other bats like we talked about, Narvaez, Shaw, Garcia, uh, even McKinney, like you said, who's had a pretty good start to the year. So overall, pretty happy with where the Brewers are at right now. Like I said, I will be covering the, the Brewers Pirate Series here in just a few minutes. Uh, but we wanted to do a, a brief segment here, kind of a, a chippy series against the Cubs, Wilson Contreras and, and all of our other favorite Cubbies over there. Uh, led us to uh, come up with a, a quick segment here. David, let's go through our least favorite active or former MLB players. Who's number three on your list for the, your most hated player? Number three isn't someone who was uh, a common foe of the Brewers, but maybe was a foe in their own clubhouse, Matt Garza. He was signed to <laughs> that pretty big contract in back before like 2014, I think it was. And he didn't fit in uh, with the ball club. He had an okay year and then just kind of fell off after that. I never liked him. I remember him up being upset with me for not properly asking him to sign my cards and instead of instead just holding out my card to him. Yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember. That's like the, the one moment I remember. We were we got there early. We were there for batting practice, waiting to try to get autographs. Matt Garza comes out and signs. There's a pretty big mob of people. And yeah, you're, you're, was it a card or a ball? I think it was I think it was a card or two that I had. Okay. And yeah, you were, you had it out for him and and I, I'm pretty sure you were just saying like, Mr. Garza, Mr. Garza, Mr. Garza, will you please sign my cards? And yeah, he like looked at you in the eyes and was just like, I don't even know what he said exactly, but he was just like, I, I heard you. Wait your turn. And like was very stern. Well, that was uh, I actually had two encounters with him because that was one of okay. them. Um, okay. where, where he like, he got upset with me for, for saying that too much. Uh, when I was younger, I was a little more aggressive with the players. I feel like, cause I, I think Taylor <laughs> Williams did the same thing, uh, actually, but he was a little bit more nice about it at least. Um, and then, which I can understand how they'd be a little more upset about that, I guess. But then there was one time he was just like, he had a, one sharp and you're just signing everyone's stuff. And I held out my stuff and then he just looked at me and I'm like, and he's like, are you going to say anything? And I'm like, well, so I asked right. him, uh, would you please sign my cards? But, like, what else are you supposed to do? I mean, every, obviously signing autographs for everyone. And it was just kind of a, like, yeah. it, was, it was just kind of stupid. And then even then, like, the Brewers were upset with the way he had been performing. So they moved him to the bullpen. And then he just said, no, I'm going home. I'm not going to the bullpen. And then they released him, and that was that. So uh, good riddance at the time. Uh, never liked Matt Garza. I think I'm uh, I'm along with uh, much of the Brewers community on that one. But who is your number three uh, least favorite? Yeah, another player who's uh, probably close to played as many games at Miller Park uh, as Garza, Yadier Molina, in his long career with the Cardinals. Uh, not, I mean, I, I was I was talking about this a little bit beforehand with you. Have a lot of respect for him for what he's done with the Cardinals as a catcher, one of the best to do it, great defensive catchers. And, and you know, like I said, a lot of respect for him, but not exactly somebody that I've liked or enjoyed watching uh, just because of, A, what he's done against the Brewers, but also he always seems to be an instigator um, 
in fights, which we were just talking about in our last episode uh, with the Cardinals and Cubs, or excuse me, Cardinals and Reds fight with Castellanos. He always just kind of seems to have his nose in things, um, get into other people's business when he really has no reason to. So Yadier Molina cracking my top three at number three. Uh, who's your number two? Number two is Javier Baez. Uh, he, I know a lot of people like him. He's flashy, but I don't like, I don't really like the fact that he's flashy. I'm sure part of that is just that I'm, I'm a Brewer fan and he's on the Cubs. Um, but I, I feel like he's cocky. He's kind of arrogant. He had, a, he had a good year with the Cubs when he almost won MVP. And I think he had like one other good year since then. He hasn't really done much, but uh, yet everybody seems to love him. And he seems to be like to love putting his name out there and very arrogant. Uh, I, have never liked Javier Baez. Uh, he's number two on my list. He's he's kind of like a one of the MLB poster boys too, along with like the Aaron Judge. A little bit less now, but still, it's like Javier Baez turns a double play, and it, it's got to be posted on MLB. So, yeah, right. uh, Baez Baez would probably crack my list as well at number two. But another name, another Cub that I that I thought of uh, rather than just going with Baez as well, Carlos Zambrano. A little bit of an older name. Haven't seen him. Um, in a while besides on, uh, what was that, the Chicago Hot Dogs or something like that last year, um, playing in the Independent League or something. Um, maybe a couple of years back. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I think, 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, he always he always seemed to have a temper. I, I can definitely picture a lot of bats being broken in the dugout. Um, and, yeah, um, and he was also on the Cubs, so he cannot naturally, naturally uh, dislike him. I also uh, was doing a little bit of research for this segment, and, Came across Milton Bradley as another candidate. Uh, since we're on the Cubs theme, he was also would fit the mold of a, an arrogant player. Always think of him as the outfielder who threw the ball into the stands with two outs. That's always a classic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the Cubs are an easy team to dislike. My number one, of course, we, it has to be Wilson Contreras at this point. I've never really liked him. I remember game 163, he had like a one-out walk in the sixth inning against Joaquin Soria. And he just like bat flipped the heck out of the bat, like yelled at the at the at the uh, Cubs dugout and just like ran to first. And at that point, I was like, I really do not like this guy. Um, he's really cemented his status as one of my least favorite players over the past few days. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to the day when Wilson Contreras either gets hit or orders someone to get hit, and just a brawl ensues because um, I think Travis Shaw and Daniel Vogelbach charging at Wilson Contreras would be a a wonderful sight to behold. Um, so I'm hope I'm hoping that that happens. Uh, some good entertainment, but Wilson Contreras tops the list for me, uh, at least where we sit right now. My number one, uh, surprisingly not over uh, in Chicago, but rather in LA now with San Diego, Manny Machado, uh, Brewers fans, of course, remembering that cleat to the ankle attempt on uh, Aguilar, right? In the, in the playoffs. Yeah. That was when he like dragged his foot at first base. He also like twice tried to basically like injure Arcia, like grabbed his leg as he was throwing the ball to second. I know he like kept his spikes up. Um, yeah. He's a very dislikable player. Um, I don't know if that's a word, but sounds like one. Um, yeah, I he's a he's a pretty good number one most hated player, especially to Brewer fans. Yeah, he fits, and again, he fits that that sort of cocky. I mean, I like I I don't have anything necessarily wrong with sort of like the quote unquote new age players, these young guys that are coming in and have have kind of normalized the bat flip and all that. Tatis, 
even Harper to some degree, Acuna, some of the younger guys coming into the league who are a little bit flashier. I don't know that I love that, but I'm okay with it. I, I, it's okay. But when they start doing things like Machado did, where you're intentionally trying to injure people or things are just getting excessive, not a fan one bit. So Manny Machado, number one on my uh, most hated uh, player actively or former in Major League Baseball. So that wraps up that segment. Uh, before we get to our uh, listener question, we're on the, we're on the theme of, uh, of, of brawls. Brewers haven't had really a, a big one super recently. Uh, what are some of the best fights that you can recall in Brewers history? Yeah, you basically have to go back to the uh, the Carlos Gomez era, um, since that seems to be when the best fights were. I was thinking back to him. I remember in Pittsburgh, he kind of pimped a, a triple. He didn't even end up uh, leaving the yard on it. And then and then he, uh, when he got to third base, Garrett Cole said something to him. Gomez got upset and, and a fight in, uh, a fight came out. I know that then Travis Snyder came out of the Pirates dugout. Maldonado came and just <laughs> punched yes. Snyder in the face. Yes. That was, that was I think that might have been Maldonado's large uh great highest exit velocity as a brewer. In, yeah, that punch. I think so. <laughs> that was that was uh I was really happy when that happened. Um because <laughs> yeah, Travis Snyder, another guy that I'd never liked, but he wasn't as high profile as any of these guys. So I didn't know if I should include him on, on my list. Um, so that was one of the better ones I can remember. Also the Braves one when Gomez uh, also pimped a home run and Freddie Freeman was upset and he got to home plate and Brian McCann just started yelling at him before he even got to home plate. Mm-hmm. That was another one that happened. Reed Johnson was one coming out of the dugout, looking like a bowling ball with his bald head. Um, <laughs> that was, uh, that was kind of funny. That one was over near the netting, so they like almost carried it into uh, into the stands. Uh, those were the the two that I can remember in recent memory. Um, are there any that you remember that I might not have remembered? My favorite moment in regards to it wasn't technically a fight, but over in Arizona uh, when I believe second and third uh, D backs pitching to Ryan Braun. Basically, we're going to intentionally walk, and they were like, eh, why, why throw four pitches? Let's just throw one and nail him in the back, just for good measure. So they decided to nail Braun. You can clearly see the catcher signal that they were beating him. They hit him. Jonathan Lucroy comes up. Uh, I believe they bring in Brad Ziegler, if my if my memory serves me, serves well, they, me well. And they, they brought in rookie Evan Marshall just to face Braun because he was their worst reliever at the time. So they brought him in just to hit Braun because they knew he was going to get tossed. That's right. That's right. So they brought in the rookie. Uh, what's he going to do? Not listen to the to what the managers are telling him to do. So he nails Braun. Braun takes first base. Brewers obviously not happy with it because it's really obvious what they were trying to do. Brad Ziegler comes into the game, who was a pretty formidable reliever at the time. Jonathan Lucroy, pitch over the plate, left center, grand slam. One of the most satisfying uh, moments, honestly, in Brewers history. We were watching that game together on TV. Um and, and I still remember that moment. I can still tell you the ins and outs of that moment. Um, so that's got to be my I've seen you you make in a couple of years, actually. <laughs> it was. It was the only thing that would have made it better would have would have been if we were playing the Cubs or yeah. if it was the playoffs. But uh, nonetheless, one of, that was honestly one of my, if not my favorite Jonathan Lucroy memory. Uh, that's got to be the, there. the suicide uh-huh. squeeze, maybe. Yes. Uh, or or. Or, or a suitcase falling on his hand. True. One or the oh, other. Yeah. True. Yeah. And, yeah, actually, when you say that, the other the other great one was uh, a couple of years ago only in 2018. Uh, it was the same situation, but it was the sixth inning and Bumgarner was pitching. 
trying to get through his, the sixth inning with two outs, and he throws up and in on, on Braun, but misses, throws up and in again, misses. At this point, Braun's yelling at him. The dugouts are kind of chirping at each other. At Bumgarner, he's near the end of the line, then just throws straight to the back. Somehow Bumgarner doesn't get tossed, but the benches are warned. Bases loaded, two outs. Jonathan Scope comes out, who, had, of course, hadn't done anything to that point. Didn't do anything after that point. I was going to say, For that yeah. one moment, he hit a grand slam to take a 5-3 lead uh, after that. And that was one of the better moments in recent Brewers memory. Far and away the best moment in Jonathan Scope's uh, long-lived Brewers career. Yes. <laughs> um, that was that was one of the better moments that I can remember. Also, kind of a similar situation to the Lucroy and Ziegler moment. Yeah, I, I forgot about that one. That was that was big too. And, and I think uh, this is just kind of uh, re- related, but with with a situation like that where you're clearly trying to hit a guy three times, it takes you to hit him. Um, I think umpires need to be quicker to throw guys out. In my opinion, I mean, in the in the Brewers Cubs series, after he threw at Woodruff seriously a warning on both sides after he throws behind the starting picture I mean, to me that that's that's just ridiculous first pitch fastball and after Contreras yeah. had been hit and you know that there's tension uh I yeah. I would honestly be surprised if we end up throughout the year nothing happens no no fight or anything like that because I think it'll just continue as long as Wilson Contreras hangs his elbow out, out over the plate um that'll just that'll just continue so uh I would be surprised on that I think also Guys need to be more okay with getting tossed now. I feel like players and managers and coaches are scared of getting tossed. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, I think replay is part of that. But uh, but I, I, I would agree. I think umpires are a little bit scared to throw out pitchers uh, after that. Yeah. I think I think it might be partly, too, because it might not be their decision. It might be the catchers or the managers. Right. And I get that. At the end of the day, somebody needs to be held responsible for it. So if you want to throw the manager out, fine. But – Somebody needs to get thrown out. Somebody needs to get held accountable. And I get that the umpires can't always tell, you know, was their intent. But when you're getting 95 behind the starting pitcher's back after some hit batters, it's pretty obvious. Um, There's no question about it when he throws it six feet from home plate. So nonetheless, we'll get off of our our high horse here ranting about that. Uh, So before we wrap things up, let's cover today's uh, listener question. Our our first uh, annual, I guess you call it, first First time here. Well, I hope, Our listener question. Well, I hope we get more than one a year. <laughs> <laughs> Our first regular new segment, we'll call it that. Here we go. So, uh, David, this one will go to you with uh, the Brewers' new arm in the pen at the start of this year here, Brad Boxberger. What do you see his role being this year? I mean, we've already seen him uh, pitch a fair amount this year and has fared pretty well. So what do you see his role being this year in the Brewers' pen? Well, if you would have asked me that question a week ago, I would have said – more of a middle reliever coming down 4-2, up 6-1, situations like that. But we've seen him in more high leverage situations already. He has some experience with that, former all-star. He actually closed a little bit in Miami last year. Uh, he ended up coming in in a, a close game. I think it was at the end of the Cardinals series and then again in extras, I think, against the Cubs on Monday, uh, Monday, Tuesday. I'm not 100% sure, uh, but... He has seen a, an increased role. I think that he'll be more of like a seventh inning guy. Um, maybe will protect like a two, three run lead now, uh, or they might they might use him to in extra innings. I think he's kind of the the stereotype like seventh inning guy. We don't really have those anymore. He's not necessarily a setup guy, but he's like mm-hmm. a solid 
solid reliever. He's pretty consistent. You know what he's, you're going to get out of Boxberger, uh, but he's not going to blow you away with anything. So I think more or less that'll be his role. He'll be kind of third, fourth guy out of the pen, one inning, uh, maybe throw in extras or throw um, to protect a bigger lead, um, seventh, eighth inning. I think that's what his role will be, at least in the short term. Yeah, I think that depends too on on how Williams performs, as well as Drew Rasmussen, some of those other arms as well. If we see uh, Boxberger is kind of a safer bet at this point. Uh, he's been pretty consistent in this short season so far. So we'll see uh, how his role changes. But there you have it, Andrew. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving us our first listener question. We will continue doing those as we go forward. And as we wrap things up here, again, uh, just a couple News as far as Brewers injuries, Lorenzo Kane to the IL, Yelich still banged up, Tyrone Taylor being called up, uh, Brewers making a swap with uh, Perdomo coming up for Eric Yardley, and then covering the Brewers' successful two out of three series win uh, over at American Family Field. And uh, as we said at the beginning of the episode, I will be back in about 20 seconds here to cover the Brewers-Pirate series, uh, hopefully covering a Brewers sweep. I'll, I'll call it here first, so... Brewers hopefully sweeping Pittsburgh, taking care of business um, against the lesser Pirates. Anything, uh, David, here from you before we, you drop off? I'm glad that the Brewers have been playing better as of late. They've won their last three series, so that's been good to see. And two of those against the Cubs, one against the Cardinals. So it's not like they were playing terrible opponents by any means. Um, so it has been good to see that taking care of their divisional rivals. So um, that's going to be important in April, but also later in the year so good to see them getting off to a quick start and actually Woodruff Burns and Peralta all ranking in the top 11 in both ERA and F war uh, so far in the young season so of course starting pitching has been really good but just another stat that kind of cements that as uh, they've really performed as probably the best starting staff in the major league so far yeah we'll see if if Hauser and uh, Anderson are able to continue that success uh, going into the series against Pittsburgh. So with that, we will be, Dave and I will be signing off here and I will be back in a few seconds to cover, hopefully, the Brewers sweep against Pittsburgh. Hi everyone, actually it is David back uh, to recap the Pirates series. Peter unable to join us, so I ended up filling in instead. Just a quick couple minute recap of that series against Pittsburgh at home. Unfortunately, the Brewers did fall in two out of three against a pretty bad Pirates team. You look at their lineup and not very many recognizable names or big young talents. Uh, they have Brian Reynolds, who's a pretty good player. Gregory Polanco still there, but really not much else outside of those guys. Uh, they're, they're a rebuilding team. And um, unfortunately, the Brewers were only able to win one out of the three games against them. Uh, thankfully, it's April, it's early, and I don't think that'll come back to bite them. But um, certainly you want to take care of the teams that you should take care of. First game of the series, Adrian Hauser versus JT Brubaker. Brubaker went six innings, one run, uh, no walks, eight strikeouts. Very good performance, Hauser. Didn't really have his best stuff. He hasn't really so far this year, but he went four and a third and allowed three runs. Um, so... Unfortunately, Brewers taking the loss on that one. Suter came in in relief and allowed a couple of the inherited runners to score. Uh, but Perdomo did pitch a clean inning. Devin Williams, again, struggling. He has not really looked good. Um, he did pitch again on Sunday, and we'll, we'll go over that quick. But not too much to say about this game um, other than Brewers lost 6-1. And really not the best game. Uh, going into game two, Brewers put up a five spot in the first inning. 
put up two runs in the second, which really has been uncharacteristic of the Brewers' offense over the last year, year and a half. Uh, they haven't really scored many first-inning runs. I think the Brewers actually have scored more runs in the first inning now this year than they did all of last year. So that is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, but at least they were able to jump out to the early lead, give some cushion to Brett Anderson. Anderson had a, a great performance, seven innings, one run, no earned runs. Only three strikeouts, but Brett Anderson's going to uh, put the ball in the strike zone, get ground balls, and that's what he did. We, we did see a Trevor Cahill-Brett Anderson pitching matchup. They were two pretty good young prospects for the A's back in like 2008. So a little bit surprising to see the two veterans square off against each other all the way in uh, 2021. Um, crossing paths with Oakland and now facing each other together in the NL Central. But Eric Yardley and Drew Rasmussen each tossing a scoreless inning in relief contributed to the effort. Brewers actually scored seven runs without a home run. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when the last time they scored that many runs without a home run was, uh, but seems like it doesn't really happen much. The Brewers are very dependent on the home run ball. They were able to uh, just string together some hits in the first and second innings. So that was nice to see for a little bit of a change uh, since that's typically uh, how it goes. Uh, but then going into game three, the rubber match, uh, Brewers took an early lead 2-0, but uh, ended up being tied 3-all. Both scored two runs in the seventh and actually headed into extras. Peralta, five innings, three runs, uh, a high pitch count, uh, only allowed three hits, but also walked three. Devin Williams ended up coming in actually in the eighth in a tie game, and he looked a little better than his previous outings, but still a little bit shaky. Was uh, was able to get through the inning without allowing any runs, allowed one hit, struck out a batter, uh, but still didn't look like himself. He looked like he didn't have good feel for the changeup. Um, I think that's a, a pitch where he'll just regain the feel for it, and he'll be more effective than as he regains the feel for it, because it still is one of the best pitches in baseball uh, when he has it going. Hayter looked really good in the ninth, and I was actually surprised and a little bit disappointed that they didn't double switch him in when he came in because they had to take him out because they pinch hit Narvaez for him, and then they brought in JP Fireisen, who really didn't look too bad, but he allowed a double to Moran to lead off the inning run scored. Brewers unable to bring in that run home uh, to keep the game going in the bottom of the 10th, so Brewers falling 6-5 in extras to the Pirates. A little bit of an unfortunate outcome, but... Um, but the Brewers still are in a pretty good spot. The Brewers sitting at 8-7 and seven now on the year. Um, the NL Central is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty close together right now. One of the bigger pieces of news coming recently, Christian Yelich was placed on the 10-day injured list retroactive to uh, April 14th. So that would have been last week Wednesday, which means he'd be eligible to come off. Uh, already on Saturday of this week. Lower back strain was officially what he was listed as. Um, so I saw that he's kind of taking a page out of Ryan Braun's book, staying on the active roster while injured for a, about a week until he actually goes on the injured list. Eric Yardley was recalled as a corresponding move, so that's why we did see him back for Saturday's game. I don't think the timetable is too long on Yelich. I think he should be back around that minimum time. Uh, he has hit, so well, hit pretty well for the Brewers so far. Um, so that part has been good on Yelich's behalf. Uh, looking ahead at the next week, they do play in San Diego this weekend against a great Padres team. I'm pretty excited to see them against the uh, against the Padres. There's a big series, Padres-Dodgers, this past weekend, and now the Brewers get to face them. I think Joe Musgrove is on the hill for them uh, tonight, so uh, that should be a pretty good pitching matchup with Musgrove and Brandon Woodruff. And then they got Corbin Burns going tomorrow. 
Um, and Adrian Hauser then on Wednesday. So hopefully the Brewers are able to take two out of three against probably the second best team in the National League. And they have a day off on Thursday before going to Chicago to play none other than the Cubs once again. Brewers third series with the Cubs. Maybe there'll be some drama. We talked about that um, earlier. Uh, I, I kind of hope there is. Keep things interesting. Uh, I like rivalries and I think that it adds some excitement to the game. So hopefully Brewers able to go to Chicago, get a series win also. But pretty tough schedule this week in San Diego and then back to Chicago to play the Cubs. That's going to wrap it up for today's episode here on the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Thank you again for listening. Uh, it's been a pretty exciting month for the Brewers. They've been playing pretty well. Actually, I saw on Baseball Reference that they improved their playoff odds more than any other team. And I think that's because Woodruff's been excellent. Burns has cemented his status now as one of the better pitchers in the National League. Uh, offense has been pretty good. Daniel Vogelbach had two home runs a couple days ago. Brewers showing they can hit a little bit too. If the Brewers can put the offense together, usually they figure out the bullpen around May, actually. At least that's what it seems like. It that Once they kind of figure out the roles of the guys, uh, it fits into place a little bit. Although I would say uh, it does seem like a mistake trading away Corey Knebel. He has looked really good for the Dodgers so far. Only $5.5 million is what he would have been paid. But Brewers were unwilling to pay that. And that, that's looking like it might be a mistake, especially with a little bit more of a shaky back end of the bullpen than we expected. Justin Topa, of course, is out for the first half of the year, so that doesn't help. But hopefully the Brewers are able to figure out a little bit of that bullpen situation. I think if they are able to do that, that really... Uh, improves them as a team by a lot. I think that makes a big difference. Being able to go straight from Woodruff to a lockdown eighth inning reliever like Williams and then Hayter shutting the door. Hayter's looked excellent. The rest of the bullpen, not so much. Even though actually Fireisen has looked pretty good. Yardley has not. Rasmussen has not. Uh, a, a number of guys. So hopefully Brewer is able to figure that out in the coming weeks. But either way, it's been an exciting year so far, and I think we're all glad to have a pretty normal baseball season in 2021. So thanks for listening, and as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.